time of the year and to remember and to rejoice and uh, to just celebrate the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, and a little bit of what that means. And today, um, we're not going to have one of the fill-in-the-blanks messages or anything like that. We're just going to read the, the New Testament gospel story of the coming of Jesus and a little bit about what that was about, and um, then go from there, and we will have our... Um, we're not... Some people have asked about communion. We have it on the side today because... I didn't feel like it was appropriate to have a formal communion up here because we're not celebrating at this time his death and burial. We're celebrating his coming. So that's what we're doing today is is we're remembering and celebrating that. All right, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And basic, I guess if we wanted to have a title for today's message, I would just call it The Christmas Story. Luke chapter 2, The Christmas Story. And like I said, it's just going to be very simple, really. What we're going to do is just read the passages of Scripture. I don't think it'll take a real long time and make some comments about it, kind of give you some background and understanding. It was uh, really neat. Kathy and I got to watch, um, I think it was Jesus of Nazareth, but the video of that just happened to be on, and we caught it and watched it and and stayed up pretty late doing it because once we were watching it, we couldn't stop. And it was just so powerful to see that and all the the events of that and... uh, um, I wish I had a copy. We could have just watched that for our service today. But um, it's, this is the season that we do remember those things. All right, verse one, number one of, Matthew, of uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, so as we look at this and we kind of break it down, in the first three verses we see it, it talks about the census. And basically in the um, uh, configuration and the, and the way that they did things during the Roman era of this is that every 14 years there was a census that was taken in the Roman Empire. And here where we started off, we're looking at Caesar Augustus, and I mean, and this isn't spiritual, but just that you know, Caesar Augustus was actually the nephew of Julius Caesar. So you can just see the, um, uh, those that were involved during that time. And when they would take this census, uh, the purposes, there were two primary purposes they had. One was for the military draft, for those that were going to draft into that. However, the Jews, quite naturally, were exempt from military service. They wouldn't have wanted them in the military service at that time. But that was one of the reasons that they had for um, this time, the census. But the other um, portion of the census, and this would apply to Mary and Joseph, was that it called all the people to come because they were assessing them for taxation. You know, yes, they had an IRS, their own version of the IRS in those days. And so they would, they would call people to come and to, from wherever they were and to come to this area and, and to come and make this journey um, to Bethlehem for the purposes of taxation as well. In verses 4 through 7, we see it talk about the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, Nazareth was the town that, that where? What was noted with Nazareth? It was the town that Jesus grew up in. That was his hometown. And um, when I was in Israel, um, we got to go into, they have a, 
a beautiful area there on a hill uh, that's built up and they have it kind of and have made it like it was during those times. They have a carpenter shop, you know, and it's not Home Depot or anything like that. You know, but they have the, they had one of our guys that was strong. They had him go up and try to saw one of the, the, the pieces of lumber and he couldn't do it at all, you know, because it wasn't an electric power saw or anything like that. But it, there's a beautiful uh, area there that they give you just a feel of what it was like. And that's a very steep area. If you remember, there was a time that in the ministry of Jesus of where he had quoted the passage of scripture and said that it was fulfilled in him and they wanted to kill him. They literally wanted to run him off of the cliff. And again, that was because of the height of the cliff and, and the slant that was there. They really wanted to, to do that, but he walked, the Lord just caused him to walk through and protect him during that time. But the journey that, that we have here from Nazareth to Bethlehem was 80 miles. Now think about walking 80 miles. You know, and I'm, I mean, think about doing it on you know, a level road or, or somewhat good road or good path or whatever else. And then, as I told you about just a bit of the topography there of, of, of um, Nazareth, when we're talking about from there on down, it was 80 miles of brutal uh, mountains and, and up and down, and it was, it was anything but easy, you know, and it was a, a treacherous, difficult thing. And to do 80 miles, and, and as we see from the story here, not only that, but we see that there's a, a pregnancy involved and that... Uh, she is coming as part of that on the donkey or whatever else, and it would have been a very, very difficult journey during this time. Where they were going to um, was to a little town six miles south of Jerusalem, and it literally is called the House of Bread. Bethlehem means the House of Bread. And it's interesting, John 6.35 describes Jesus as what? The Bread of Life. And so the bread of life came to the house of bread. Isn't that kind of neat? Sometimes I love these, these, the way these things come together and that. And so they, they come there and uh, in, in the ministry uh, to, to do what they need to do in that whole area. And, um, and they're on that line. The, the house of there. let me get this. And when they come to Bethlehem, Bethlehem was, uh, stood on a high limestone ridge that was more than 2,500 feet in height. And I remember when I was in Israel and we got to go there, and actually, very sadly, that was one of the most stressful places to go in Israel just because of the political condition, and uh, there was incredible security that you had to go through. You had to show your passports just to get in. There was barbed wire. I mean, it was very difficult just going in there. It was tense the whole time that you were there in that. But one of the things I remember was go as we went up and parked before we went over into the into the area where we were going to go see where the birth was, at least that they think it was, or could possibly be. But I remember that, that incredible um, rise up there and the drop-off that was there, and you could see way over in that. This was a, a rough, rough area that you have there um, in this, 2,500 feet in height. And it's also interesting that in this area, when they came from Nazareth to Bethlehem, that when we're looking at this, um, this was the home city of King David. This is where he loved to come. This was a refuge for him that we see in this. And so we see the history that had been, been involved in that from, from years and centuries ahead of that. So when Jesus comes, we see that from, Matt, from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, um, that Jesus came not as a conquering Messiah, 
but we see that Jesus came as a suffering servant. He came um, not to, to bring conquering, but he came to lay his life down. He was literally, as, as we've said before, he was born in the shadow of a tree, that he was born to come, to suffer, to take our sins, and to do that. And so let me just tell you a little bit about the custom of the day. Um, Joseph and Mary, as they were coming, um, there, was, there was a Jewish custom and there were laws concerning marriage. And first of all, in the Jewish custom of that time, the first part of marriage was engagement. That would be very similar to what we would have now. Um, and it was often made when the couple were children. That's probably a little different. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, it was usually made from a parent or the parents together would do that um, in that. But there, there was also the possibility, and you probably remember this from the movie Fitter on the Roof, because oftentimes the engagement was made when the couple were children. They weren't even grown up, but they were like, someone had a boy and someone had a girl, and they're like, oh, this is going to be a good match. You know, we'll, they'll get together. We'll put them together in time to come. And um, usually it was done by the parents. In this case, it would have been Isaac, Isaac or Rebecca, or it was done by a professional matchmaker. Remember Fiddler on the Roof? You know, matchmaker, matchmaker, remember that one. And that one didn't go too well either, right? Remember the, the strain and difficulty in that, if you saw that wonderful, wonderful movie and production there. But the engagement was, was usually made by the parents or this professional matchmaker and at a much, much earlier time. And uh, then in, after the engagement, there was the betrothal. And that literally was the ratification of the engagement. And um, before this, the, the um, engagement that was there could be broken. But now as they were betrothed and they came together in a betrothal, now it was something that was absolutely bind, binding. And once entered into, um, they couldn't do that. As a matter of fact, at this time, they were called man and wife. But it's interesting because even in this time when they were called man and wife, there were some regulations in that, is that there was no sexual relations between the couple, even though they were engaged and now betrothed, for over a period of a year. There was still, that was to be a year of purity for them and waiting for that. And uh, at the end of that time, end of that year, then there was a marriage proper that came at the end of betrothal. What's interesting here is we read in this passage of where when, when they're going and, and they come to the place that they lay uh, the baby down, baby Jesus down, and wrapping in clothes. And he goes in a manger because there's no place for him in the inn. I love this little quote that I found. It says, there was no room for him in the inn. And this is symbolic of what was to happen to Jesus. The only place where there was room for him was on a cross. He sought entry to the overcrowded hearts of men. He could not find it. And still his search and his rejection go on. Isn't that a powerful statement? I really like that. That even today, that, he's, that it goes on, that he's looking for us in that. All right. And then Luke, verse 8. Let's go on down from there and expand the story a little bit more. Luke 8, and we'll be going down from there to verse 20. So there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were terrified. I mean, wouldn't you be if an angel came? You know, one of the things you would, what, if you had a list of things that you would never see if you saw an angel, and that is a high five. That's, that's not it. In the Old Testament, New Testament, when someone saw an angel, it wasn't like, oh, this is exciting. Oh, let me get my camera out and video this or anything else. Whenever someone saw an angel, it was like, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead person. It's like, it was terrifying because of the glory and the brilliance 
that was there and that, that they experienced in that. That was, that, that was much more the norm in that. And so the shepherds were living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now that would be a sign, right? I mean, that's an unusual place to go look for the Savior of the world. But they tell him that. And then verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and, and the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread their word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. And so we see that. We see this taking place as, as there's the visitation of where the Lord brings the shepherds there that are um, coming and, and, and brings them into the presence of the Savior. And then the shepherds go from there and they begin to share about the coming of Jesus and all that's involved in that. And just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's interesting here because the shepherds, and, and this has been conjectured, but the, there, the possibility that there are also special shepherds there and these shepherds were ones that kept care of the lambs or the sheep that would later be used as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And so what I found in my study on this is that, that when they saw that and they saw these, these offerings, um, there was a possibility, it was interesting, that the shepherds who looked after sacrificial lambs saw the sacrificial lamb. Isn't that incredible? So I'm sorry, this is a little scholar today. I did a lot of study on it. But so these, these shepherds, it's, it's very possible there were shepherds there whose whole duty was to take care of lambs that were taken in for sacrifice. And yet they saw the Lamb of God that was born to be the sacrifice. Again, how the Lord just, just brings everything together in that. And then look at Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, we have the gifts of the Magi. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We have seen a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was just, said, that's great. No, when King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed. Why? One was because he was a madman, but more than that, he was also disturbed because of the threat that he saw and the potential that there was a king coming that could, could threaten his rule and his reign. And so he was very disturbed about it. And when he was disturbed, in verse 4, it says, uh, it says verse 3, hurt, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him, because if he was upset, the people were upset, because they knew that could be dangerous for them as well. And so they ask where it is, and they find out that he's been born in Bethlehem and Judea, for the prophets have written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler 
who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod called the Magi and found out the time and that sort of thing. And we know that they obeyed the Lord and didn't give him the time and so helped uh, bring protection and safety during that time. But it's interesting here because when the Magi came, these, these Magi, are sometimes we call them the wise men, they came and they brought him gifts. And literally what they brought were like prophetic gifts. Each of the gifts that they gave had a prophetic meaning for the coming of Jesus and what his life was, what his life was to be, and what the effect would be down the road. Because one of the gifts that we read and we see about is that they have, is there was a prophetic gift of gold. You say, well, gold is an appropriate gift to give, right? And who would you give gold to? Usually you give gold to a king or you give gold to, a real, to, to royalty. Someone is there. And so gold is a gift for a king. And that was, as it were, a prophetic gifting. And we don't have time to get all the Old Testament passages that foretold prophetically the coming of Jesus. But these, these wise men, these magi, they knew that. And they're giving the gold as a gift for a king. And then the, another gift that was given was that of incense. And incense was a gift for a priest. Incense was a gift for a priest. He was given gold because Jesus was what? He was a king. And he was given incense. Why? Because not only was Jesus a king, he was a priest. You know what a priest is? One of the definitions that we have for priest is that you can say it's a bridge builder. It's someone who, who builds a bridge that, that brings together. And that's what Jesus came. Jesus was a priest. He was a, a high priest of God, and he was trying to bring mankind and womankind. He's trying to bring those who are on earth into relationship with his father, the king of kings and the lord of lords. He was, he was trying to bring that relationship in there. And so this prophetic gift there was, again, the gift for a priest who was a bridge builder. But then there was also the third gift that was given to them by the Magi, and this was the gift of myrrh. And this was a, a sacrificial gift that was given as an anointing for one who is to die. So isn't that amazing? Even at his birth, even in the manger, even there just with, with, with the shepherds and, and the light and everything else, even there was the prophecy that he was born in the shadow of the tree. He was born to go to the cross because that was the reason that he was that he was born was to do that. Just an incredible, incredible thing that we have for that. And then in Luke verses 21, let's go back to that, Luke verses 21 through 40. Sorry, it's Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. There it is. After these gifts, says, Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel who had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And going on down from there, They'd offer, in verse 24, to offer a sacrifice and uh, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. In verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, isn't that incredible? Here's this, this guy that, he, these, that he, he has an abundance of years, and he's waiting because he's gotten this promise from God that he's going to get to physically see the Savior, the coming of the Savior. And so he's there, and he's waiting, and, and it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. The presence and Spirit of God was upon him. And, and, he's, and he's waiting, and he knows he's not going to die before he sees him. Verse 27 says, moved by the Holy Spirit, he went to the temple courts. In other words, you know, a lot of times he could have been there at the temple, which was the place that you worship and give honor to God, but Jesus could have been just beyond there. And so what the Lord did was he took him beyond just being on the edge and brought him into face-to-face in this, that we see this. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit prompted him, he went into the temple courts When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, circumcision, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and basically he just begins to prophesy. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. A sign will be spoken against, to be a sign will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then a sword will pierce your own soul as well. Don't you know that Mary would just as soon not have gotten that last, that last part there. But again, he was born in the shadow of the tree. This is what he was born to do in that. And then verse 36, as we're kind of wrapping this up, then there was another individual. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, or Pen- or Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Um, that would, what would that be, guys, like 140, something like that, right? That's, that's very old. We don't know how, how old she was. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. But she never left the temple. Here's an 80-year-old woman that, that is a prophet. That means she hears from God and can proclaim what God is saying, what God's, God's heart is in this. And she just spends her life in the temple of the Lord. It says, night and day, fasting and praying. Now, she's already 84. She's been waiting for years to be able to see the Messiah and to see the coming of the Lord and, and what the Lord has, the promise of the Lord, the prophetic word that the Lord has burned into her hearts. But she's there and she's waiting, she's worshiping. And you know, if you think about the temple of that day was massive and it could have been filled with people. And so it could have been almost an accident to even bump into someone that you wanted to see because there were just so many people that were there and the incense and everything else that was going on in the area. But the Lord directed her and, and, and brought her into that place, verse 38 says, coming up to them at that very moment. You know, if we don't have to be a prophet, but if we will listen to the voice of God, God can bring us to the divine encounters that he has for us at the right place, at the right time, for the right effect. We just have to have our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts open, and be looking for them. You know, sometimes people say, well, God never speaks to me, or I never see this, or never see that. Well, again, we have to really focus. We have to really decide and cry out to God, God, you know, 
here's your servant, speak to me, and just cry out for him to speak to us in dreams and visions and revelations and, and, and parables and just whatever else for the Lord to bring that. And so she's waiting and she sees this child and she gives thanks to God. She starts to worship and spoke about the child to everyone that was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Joseph and Mary, verse 39, had done everything required by the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. You know, I just love the, the Christmas story, you know, of where you have these different individuals where we've have, we have the Magi that we've looked at there, and we had the prophet Simeon that we just talked about, and we had the prophetess Anna, and, and it's interesting, I didn't mention this a while ago, but a lot of people feel like Anna could have been 103 years old. That's what Scott, I mean, she wasn't, she was going to hang on until she got to see her promise, you know, and it's like, and if we hang on 100 seconds, we think that it's too long, right? <laughs> it's just, we don't, we don't know what it is to wait, but she was willing to wait, and so she had that encounter. She hadn't grown bitter, she, and uh, she had, had stayed there waiting until the time was there. All right. Rodney, did we get the other, the pentonic thing, pentatonic set up or? No. no, didn't get that done? Okay. Well, then we'll just go to this part. You know, it's again so exciting 